Hi, this is Florian with 99 Stars, and I have today a new podcast guest. So, would you be so kind to introduce yourself? Yes, my great pleasure. Thanks for having me, Florian. My name is Mikko Putz. I am. I was born and raised in Berlin. Had a degree in economical engineering from Technical University in Berlin. Uh, after that, I spent about eight years at um, being employed at uh, Intershop and eBay, and then switched into self-employment about 14 years ago. Eight years ago, I founded um, Young Digitals, which is a consultancy agency for digitization with a human-centered approach. And our mission is to leave enabled and happy teams at our clients. And we do so by engineering software innovations in blended teams, all together with our clients' employees. By applying our technological and, and process knowledge, as well as sociological and psychological coaching methods. Yeah, I'm happy father of, of three kids. Um, not much time left for hobbies these days. Uh, sports enthusiast. And um, I still manage to go to training when I uh, bring up the discipline for it. Cool. So what was the motivation for yourself to uh, found your own agency with this goal? That's the, so, so the specific goal to, to put the human, uh, put the people and the human focus into, into digitization is really a long story. Actually, it starts with my first daughter 20 years ago, 24 years ago, actually. I uh, spent some time with um, education methods and, and how to raise kids, stuff like that, because I was still very young at that time. And I came across emotional intelligence as a, as a concept. And that ever since that fascinated me. And um, I, uh, I came across it every once in a while and then it became more intense. And so my first years in consulting were very technical and technological, I would say. And then I had those moments where I realized that the power of, of what's in, within the teams is, is if you have a balanced team and that you have those dynamics and they have those psychological factors which uh, are as important. So I felt this is a factor which could not be underestimated. And, and, and then coming from digitization, as I said, I, uh, my background is, is very technical an engineering background. I felt this to be very um, powerful to add um, psychological matters to to technical um, aspects. Yeah, interesting. So, if you say emotional intelligence, so what is good emotional intelligence for you? How do you define emotional intelligence? And out of that, so what is a good team for you? How do you define a good team? Yeah. So, um, without just repeating the, the the theory about emotional intelligence, I would say somebody, of, of course, somebody who is very much aware of their own emotional situation and feelings. Um, uh, that's the first step in being able to to um, yeah to detect and to to. Um, Get onto the journey to know, to journey to yourself, to know what's driving you, what's what's causing anger, where your feelings come from, um, and from that uh, to control that and and in a positive way, or or to even let that happen, but let it happen 
in a, in a sense that you're aware of what's happening and where this is coming from. Um, that's, that's an intelligence about your emotions, um, which is first comes first before you can then actually apply it to your relationships, relationships that you have with other people, uh, where you are aware of your relationship and you can um, do the same thing, which is, is, is regulating that and, and steering that and, and, and guiding that into a direction and a fruitful direction. And this is pretty much probably what I would say for a team and an emotional intelligent team, they have, or the members, have these competencies. They are aware of emotions. They are empathetic. Um, they can they can steer processes. They can create environments and and move in environments in a way that um, they can in the end trust each other and and create an, an environment in which they can be authentic and and. And live out those concepts, those competencies. Yeah, it's a really good point. So emotional intelligence means to be aware of your own emotions and also be transparent about your own emotions first, and then also about emotions you you um, sense from others. So, what were the examples where you saw? Okay. This happened when this emotional intelligence was absent or missing in a digitalization project. And this happened when it was there. So do you have two examples for that? Um, so the, the, the best examples for me are always myself. Um, if I remember times when I, I felt not so much intelligent about my own emotions or where I felt more intelligent about my own emotions. Um, these are the things I remember the best. Um, and uh, I think everybody knows these situations where you're like driven by a feedback and, and your emotions just take, take off. Um, and then you find yourself battling for a, for a position, for example, and, and defending that position and, and, before you recognize that actually you're, you're all into that fight actually. And it's not no longer about being productive as a team or, or getting to a result as a team, but it's, it's about your ego. It's about um, an emotion that was triggered, for example, when that happens um, for myself, I feel like, okay, now this was not, that was not productive. And, and you can see these things in, in projects a lot of times um, when, team members are not you know are not taking critics for example or take critics personally they don't they're not eager to learn for for because they it hurts them or they feel the they have the feeling they lose their face when they admit to something that went wrong these things are always present you cannot you can't you can't cross them out um uh, and but you can see teams when they are dealing with this in an emotional, intelligent way. And one thing, for example, is if they're able to, to um, even after something went wrong, if they're able to go back and say, well, I was wrong there and um, it took me in the wrong direction. Um, or they could even apologize when they, when they take things too, when things become too emotional. 
Um, and then it becomes more this, this on an emotional base, the picture is more of a dance uh, and, uh, and the team, they, they move smoothly along with each other and, and they play their, they play out their competency. So everyone on the field, I would say to, to just use a sports um, analogy is everyone knows their position, their strengths. So you have some critic mind who, who would then apply some critical sense to things. You have people who are more extrovert, who, who know when to, to be extrovert. Um, and, and I think you can sense that pretty well in a team when they are acting in an emotional, intelligent way. And, and, and innovations particularly um, is, is, I think it's, it's actually the core of, of being innovative is, is those, art, those cultural aspects and those aspects that's come along with values and, and, and emotions, particularly in digitizations, uh, often also, there are a lot of emotions involved, like like fears, for example. If you, if companies talk about transforming, that leaves a lot of employees uh, with with worries, with fears about their position in the future. Where do they end up? Do they actually have the competencies to compete in that new area, and things like that? So, and then if that leads to blocking initiatives or um, not playing along, or or, or uh, being passive about things or even passive aggressive, of course, that's blocking a lot of, a lot of the the way moving forward. So, that said, actually, um, it's it's probably the number one objective of management to to address that and to to you do, do just a better job as a manager if you if you have that on the radar and if you work towards that to to uh, consider that in a transformation in a digitization transformation. Uh, your people face a lot of emotions and, and you need to create the environment, a psychological safe environment, for example, to, um, to uh, lead the transformation. So would you, would you say um, that's one of the cores of a good company culture to have your people uh, be self-aware of their emotions, be emotional intelligent? Yes, depending on the purpose of the company, um, some values matter, matter more and, and, of course, some, some less. In general, or I, I feel these, these, these aspects matter a lot. Um, empathy is, is, is very important nowadays. A good company culture as I would see it is, is yes, is taking those things into account. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering if, if you are able in a, in a good way to, to test, like, do you have a, a fixed strategy, how you test for that in, a, in, a, um, in the applications situation? So if, if you have an applicant in front of you, do you have certain things you, you ask or you, you test for to, to have a better feeling for the emotional intelligence or is it really more a gut feeling experience from your side, which you can't put in a, in a strategy or in a, in a task or in a question? I, I don't have a, a laid out plan as how I would do that. So it's a lot of gut feeling. You're right there. The, the, the gut feeling is, is based on 
on experience. I did a, I did an education as a coach for, for emotional intelligence, for example, in which I learned uh, a lot. And over the years, you, you develop that feeling if you if you apply a lot of, um, if you take, uh, if you look at it at more closely at, at people. And then, of course, you can you can approach this in a in a more strategic way to if you want to find out about someone's emotional intelligence is is actually talking about emotions, um, and that you don't need to ask about this and that emotion in, for example, a, a certain business situation. But if you talk about a book that they read or a movie that they watched, you feel you feel pretty much or you can sense pretty much if they're aware of their own own emotions and how they look at emotions and what triggers them. So there are ideas. Um, yes. Yeah, definitely really interesting, but also difficult topic. So we already went a bit into the innovation part and also digitalization part and why emotional intelligence as a foundation is also important and really helpful there. Um, would you say that that um, innovation and digitalization goes always in hand in hand or should go hand in hand or is it also sensible to to separate these two these two issues? Well, I have been, I have been thinking about that question a couple of times. For me, actually, they go hand in hand. I, I think digitization is 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 uh, in the end uh, a process of renewing things um, and transforming things. So there's a lot of innovation to it. And and if you if you apply technologies to make things or improve things. Um, that often means to, or for us, it means to uh, create new solutions that uh, help at different parts of your business model. If it's um, your relationship with the customers, but maybe eventually their relationship also with your providers or um, or somewhere in the processes that you do, let it be recruiting or financial planning. So it's if you if you come up with a new digital solution, um, that's then innovation, and um, so yeah. innovation takes takes the big or if not the major part of, of digitization in my eyes. Yes. Yeah, makes definitely sense. So if you say innovation means always is this just something new, and digitization should bring something new. Otherwise, why you should do this? Like doesn't bring anything new there's no improvement and it should be there to improve things and then everything which is new brings some resonance in humans by nature like humans yeah a bit skeptical and, and the about new things exactly but and and the perspective i just took is very narrow to companies right um digitization also has of course a society aspect to it which is also innovation on a larger scale um a bit not so much innovation in terms of a process where you do um most typical steps that that you apply like user research and experimenting and things like that society society's digitization is something much bigger like if you if if the word digitization um has become much larger than just transforming companies actually 
where do you see the biggest impact in, for the society in the context of digitalization? Mm. For society, digitization, or we, we, I mean, this is a really, this is the biggest thing um, uh, these days. And it's more than just the parent things and digitizations like, do we have broadband? Um, uh, what, the, what about the payment infrastructure and um, those kind of usage things? But like the, the for society also, it's, it's um, I think our political system should use digital means like uh, in my eyes political system is very outdated in in, in parts at least um it's just in, in in many things too slow to keep pace in in decision make, making or majority finding uh, technology is and other countries and uh, and competition globally is is pacing ahead and that's my feeling is that the the our systems are are often just way too slow to cope with that and maybe digitization can help with that faster uh, faster decision making for example um and and i don't want to be misunderstood there like i i'm a big believer of of achievements in germany in particular in the last 30 40 50 years um, when it comes to social market um system and also federalist and, and freedom principles are are um are highly important and must be defended um but here also like digitization could come in and and then we need to set frameworks and and design or our politicians and ourselves need to design society rules for the future so that that those in innovations are are channeled in the right directions you know what i mean um, yeah. take education for example like like you know um i think like the federalism federal system these days is slowing things down very very hardly i i'm, I'm not an expert in this field but i have the feeling like do we actually use best practices across states um, and do we experiment in a, in a fast way to find out what are good 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 approaches and teaching kids and students and and then offering this back to the countries to to apply it yeah that's a really good point it would be also a core of innovation that you uh, be able to try out a lot and then figuring out through trying what's the best uh, solution and then um, use this as a common sense or as a best practice so we would have the chance as with the federal state system that like we have 16 different school systems we could try out a lot and then figure out yeah. okay that works best and then and yeah. uh, set this as best practice where everyone be. is yeah should be so you should, could yeah it yeah. should be an orchestrated experiment um and then um find out what's what's working and what's not working if you have these and, means yeah and it's a nice example of how you uh, uh, which is a disadvantage right now turn it to an advantage in itself because right now it's a disadvantage that 16 uh, federal states have a different mm -hmm. school system in the same country. It's a big disadvantage at the moment because it's quite confusing. Like everyone does something else. And if you change a federal state, move to a different federal state, you have an issue. But uh, if you transform this in this way, then out of this disadvantage, getting an advantage. You said there are different, there are other countries which are better in this, like in their in their 
way of doing things because they're faster. Which which country is this, for example, which has a better approach out of their political a way of doing things? Oh, um, I think on the surface you might think of that. So I'd be careful to to and I I think I'm not too deep into into any other country to really judge that question. I think on the surface you would see that if you if you go to the Nordic countries or if you go to the US, like I think 10, 15 years ago, you could pay chewing gums with your credit card. And and here in, in Germany, there's still a lot of places that would would ask for cash, uh, cash only. Um, cash also uh, has its advantages, uh, certainly. And, but that's not the right, I think that's not the, that's just an apparent and, and a bit misleading criterion to judge whether countries are well prepared for digitization. And and honestly, I can't really say uh, what countries have better frameworks, for example. I don't, I don't know one to say, for example, take AI, right? I mean, AI is just a very big thing coming, coming down the line. Um, it, it will transform societies um, hugely. Main, main impulses coming from technology there. So um, do I know any country that has, has come up with a vision on how AI is actually owned by society and owned by the people, how redistribution happens from what AI can produce? No, I don't, I don't know. I don't, maybe there are even no countries so far yet who have wrapped their minds around um, setting, you know, making clear those those rules and policies on on how this will be used. I mean, those questions are you can see things coming up. Discussions like, like, um, like uh, how do you say ground income, ground salary, um, fixed salary, or uh, fixed income or ground income, um, which arises from that um, uh, and from the fear that. Will we be super, um, uh, not? Uh, will we be superficial? What one day as humans to, to contribute? But there's a lot more to this, and and data protection, for example, like um, uh, EU is the European Union is doing a lot around that. But um, similar to environmental change and climate change, um, if if the European Union, for example, they they have the power and the means and the market behind it to set regulations and to, to protect their market, not against competition or free market, but against actually dumping, um, dumping in products with, uh, with bad footprint. So, and all these things play together and all these things, uh, digital uh, has, has, a, has the, the driving force, right? So this is what I, what I miss about uh, politics, not only in Germany, but in other countries. And, and maybe I just spent, didn't spend there much enough time to see that, but the countries I follow yeah. more closely are probably the U.S. You haven't seen much around that in, in the last years. Of course, it, not in politics, but uh, technology is, has evolved there and they're leading in that. In the European Union, you see some things and um, uh, we should yeah. all follow a bit closer and, and, and also contribute ourselves. Yeah, it's definitely a, a good point that you say it's it's dangerous to say how a different country, a certain country performs in digitalization if you didn't live there. So because you only heard that like um, the Lithuania is really good in their government digitalization, as long as you don't didn't live there for a longer time, it's yeah, it's hard to say. On the on the other side, because you said um, it would be good 
to set certain, maybe good certain rules for AI or so on, like to that the policy makers get in ahead of it and not only behind. Um, it would be a good thing to do. On the other side, it's it's not easy. Like laws are there to stay for a longer time, and um, it would be probably better to set the test law there to see how it performs or how how the market can work with it. Uh, but if you would take it back then after five years, um, that's also not something which is the markets or the the markets like because laws are there to to give stability, to give long term um, assurance that you know it, it it goes in this direction and stays in this direction. Yeah, it, but I agree. Yeah, you you summarize very easy. well. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I absolutely agree. It's not easy, but that's actually the, the exactly the argument why we should and politicians should spend a lot of time with it because it's not easy, right? Um, coming up with the right frameworks and and as you said, like um, um, experimenting across states or even countries, um, trying out rules and being more agile also on a on a system level on an on a political level is is probably the right way to go. Um, not be perfect in the first place, but try measure and and apply these these innovation rules that we know about on a larger scale for the systems i'm just i'm just i'm just um, arguing for um the entire system uh, when you judge something when you judge digitization right it's not you know like a country that that um and knows where their 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 people are by tracking their their apps they might be very far far ahead in terms of digitization but is that the, the, the system we would want to live in because it's taking one of our core values away I, I would say like um that makes it very complex and that that just requires the effort to think about this in a, in a very deep manner and come up with a new or a, uh, come up with a large society vision about uh, where to go correct and also um what we figured out right now or what i really liked as a as a result, is that the idea that you say it, it makes sense to focus on um, connectivities, like to to um, to understand what other people are doing, so that you have a lot of experiments in the field, and then to be able to estimate which um, experiments had better results than others, and then try to figure out the best or like generate the best practice set out, which our one, which different people like different sections of the government or what else could apply so that you get more this innovation idea of having a learning experience and learning out of failures and then getting through that to a best practice way to solve the issues we have. So, um, or even, and, or, or one day maybe even AI can support that process is like if, if, if AI could simulate frameworks and rules and and how they would you know like on a large scale to what behaviors and and overall effects that would lead be interesting if if, uh, if if we could use those methods and ai and make set the rules accordingly um to ourselves but that's becoming yeah a bit too big maybe for now yeah yeah but the, even now the technology of the the internet uh, would make this uh, possible because before that it wouldn't be possible to know what everyone else is doing and then get the overview and then connect to them and then figuring out out of that the best practice it would be impossible if you just send letters um, to each other it probably it would be possible but would need a long long time uh, to to get to the best practice point but with the internet um, 
and the structure we have in the EU and in Germany in the federal states, we would have the foundation to be able to set up a, a system in, in this way. Yeah. One thing that, that I feel is, 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 is very challenging, which is in, in climate, actually you have this, this, this effect of the externalized costs um, where, and science knows about this for decades already, like, like um, companies would produce products um, and they would pollute the environment, but the prices of the, uh, the pollution would not be reflected in, in, or the cost of the pollution would not be reflected in the prices of the product. And now the, the idea, for example, to, to tax uh, carbon oxide, Uh, and and give it a price is to do exactly that to to uh, internalize those costs again and reflect them in the products. The one thing is which makes these experiment difficult, I guess, is that that mankind we don't we don't we don't see these effects. We we judge things a lot of times by the immediate effects, right? If we we purchase that product, we don't like the pollution comes twenty, thirty, fifty years later. Um, so there is no direct effect for that. This, maybe that's similar even to things like data protection. We hand out our data and very voluntarily to to uh, social media, um, but we don't know the long-term effects of that, and, and we might not yeah. be aware of to what that can lead to. Um, yeah. So how do you design those those experiments? I don't want to want to stay pessimistic here. I think that should be the learning of the past 50, 40 years: um, externalized effects. With climate, for example, apply that to data protection now and, and be more smart about it and come up with the right initiatives. Yeah, definitely. And that's probably also the, one of the biggest responsibilities for the politics to, to um, take climate change seriously and uh, do actions about it. Um, and yeah. this is the, yeah, the big questions which, coming, which stand in the room for the next years and how we're able and if we're able to solve that. Definitely. Um, so digitalization is a big topic probably for all the companies in, in Germany and in the world. And what I always ask myself, uh, how a non-IT company handle effective the IT part of the business? So Lufthansa is by design not a software, um, software development company, also not a bank like Commerzbank. So... Or, Like <laughs> there are a lot of companies which are not software development companies. So, and you help you in your agency help them um, to accomplish this goal. So, what are your perspective on this part? Like, how should a non-IT company handle their IT part of their business? I don't know who said that, but um, I was one of the quotes. Is actually. Uh, there is probably no non-IT company anymore. And, and the first thing is that they, they should all consider themselves software companies. And, and the examples you just gave, they are software companies. Um, uh, they, uh, I mean, they, the, the piece that is eventually missing around or where you can help them a lot is, is in fact in culture. And then in, in, of course, uh, technological know-how here and there, you can apply that. Um, but it's, it's a lot in attitudes, actually, um, that, that needs to be transformed with companies who want to go from considering 
not so much IT and, and more IT or more software development. Um, putting, putting teams and people into the focus is, I think, and that's where my company is built around is, is probably the, the, the biggest lesson um, we've learned and, and is to, to not be misled by the term digitization, which has a very technical um, semantic is to go to, to say, well, digitization is at least as much about teams as it is about processes and technology. So the teams company started with technology. Um, and then it was all about processes or still is a lot about processes. So becoming agile and, and, and these kind of things, which is of course important. But if you leave out the teams to become agile, um, then you can spend a lot of effort in, in transforming and you won't get very far. I think that's, that's, is, is one of the core recommendations if, if you think about becoming a software company is actually to, to think the other way around and, and put employees, put your users into the center of your thinking. Well, user-centric, a lot of companies are already. And then you see very great examples also in those companies that some time ago would not consider them software companies anymore but now they are doing great experiments a lot of insights and things like that and in particular areas of the company and if you as a manager want to put the focus and transforming your companies to start with the people that's i think um number one um, if you don't have the knowledge in-house to start with certainly start with external experts um, but don't miss out to, you know, transfer their knowledge to your people. Otherwise, those solutions that external companies come up with, they're not sustainable. They're, they can't be, they can't be maintained by, by, by the teams inside. And, and also the teams in-house um, have a lot of domain knowledge that should flow into, into innovations. And they should also be considered just for the sake of, of their participation. Um, otherwise, they won't be motivated if you hire external agencies to solve a certain problem. Um, always do that with employees so they learn in the process, uh, which then has the, the effect of you come up with solutions very fast because um, you, you hire those experts. But if, if your teams are also involved, the knowledge from those experts flows to the team. So um, you have a long-term effect on this and it becomes more sustainable and, and people are more happy to work in that place. They're more motivated because they're hurt and, and they, they see themselves growing. They have somebody there which, where they can orient themselves. Um, that's the, that's, so like the, like the ground, the, the direction you should go when you, uh, when you have that ambition. Yeah, and that's a really good point that you should make sure if you get external people on that they not only knowledge gets transferred, that the, your teams, your own teams are also able to put this knowledge in practice. So what is your way to, to, to accomplish that, that the knowledge gets transferred and also the, the teams are able to put this knowledge in the practice? In the practice? When we, when we do projects, we come with our experts and we always try to set up blended teams so that the client has their people on the team as well as our people on the team and they work together. 
And depending, of course, where on the maturity of the of the organization that you consult or where we do projects with, um, that mix or that balance is shifting. And also the where do our experts start with? I'll give you an example, like a very mature company um, that has seen software processes and they're 100% familiar with methodologies like Scrum, Kanban, design thinking, and things like that. We might not teach them on how to do these things, but we might only look or more or less only look at how do they perform as a team? Where is their team identity? Do they Are they clear on the mission in the team? What's their role set up? Is everybody aware of their own soft role let's say and the other's role like um like these kind of things where you can you know like you can add a lot of performance onto a team which already knows technology and technique um by by adding that team aspect and if you start with a team that is uh, as just starting you certainly have to apply more technological know-how how, okay let's let's say we start with a design sprint um how is that actually done have you ever done this and if not we 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 coach them and our attention is to to um, transfer our knowledge from day one so we would be very transparent about um the the templates we use and in software development we would be highly transparent about the status of of the apps we build for example and and the code that is produced so that knowledge can in fact flow and that we would make ourselves even obsolete that is one of the the core intentions or objectives is to we don't want to stay long uh, as what we say is uh, we've reached our goal if if our clients actually are enabled enough to take over from us. And and one idea, for example, is like if we provide a large team in the beginning with few employees of the customer, over time, actually, our clients should come up with their own folks who could take over and over more and more from our teams so that we actually can phase out of the teams and can only provide functional um, uh, support, whereas the team is taking over. Yeah. Yeah. What, what you said... Uh, um spark the idea in, in me if, if it's possible to have a checklist to see uh, if you have all ingredients to have a successful um, software development team in front of you. So it means, do they have emotional intelligence? Yes and no. Do they know mm -hmm. their, their tech stack? Yes and no. Are there diversity? Yes and no. Do they have the processes in place? Yes and no. So do you have something like that in mind? Uh, you could, you could um, give some examples what would be the biggest points on this list. Yes, um, um, we we have those examples, and that's also very situational. Um, uh, I mean that uh, the the way of analyzing the capabilities of the software team to start with, they look at exactly what you just said. Um, they and it's a lot of this is also coming from the gut, is to judge. Um, and, and develop a gut feeling of how they work together when you just sit by and you obey. Uh, for example, if you look at a retrospective of a software development team, you sit by a retrospective, you can see a lot of things um, about their culture and about their emotional intelligence, for example, and in their state there where they are. Um, in that retrospective, you couldn't judge so so well how, how well their their DevOps process, for example, is or the technological know-how, um, and you would have to apply other means to check that. Um, I often think technological depth is... is uh, things are changing so fast these days 
And if you recruit people or if you judge a team by their technological depth, um, of course, if you have very specific knowledge needed, then um, then technological depth is, 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 is key. If it's things that are changing anyhow, then people have to adjust every two years to a new framework, for example. Um, so the, 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 the competency is more to be adaptive and, and open rather than know one technology to the end. Um, that also doesn't apply everywhere, but a lot of times that's, that's, that's the fact. So you look at things a little differently, meaning that um, adaptiveness is one of the core strengths, like um, yeah. coming together with emotional intelligence. And even they, they um, or, or adaptiveness maybe even comes from emotional intelligence to a certain degree. Um, so the, this is, of course, um, it involves a certain also uh, intelligence um, to be adaptive and to, to work yourself into technologies, but not only highest intelligence. So you can have a team of five geniuses working together and they won't perform. And you have a team of five, let's say, just good um, uh, engineers um, and, and they come up with great examples and, and great outcome because they have this high, this high competency of, 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 of collaboratively, collaboratively working together and being innovative and being emotional intelligent, intelligent about things. That's with yeah. in, 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 in sports, like uh, you find a midi or apparently mediocre team, they can outbeat a, a Champions League team um, if they stick together as a, as a team, if they, um, if they work the extra mile, if they communicate on the field. Um, so these competencies um, become much more crucial. And, and again, also, that's one thing where we would consult and where, where we recommend managers to look at is, is to have an eye on that. And, and that's where you actually gain a lot of performance. And the last yeah. example is We've seen this also if, if we've been in the situations a lot of times to, to educate and coach clients about, let's say, Scrum, for example. Um, if, you, if you force a process into a team which is dysfunctional, you will not make that team better. In fact, you, the likelihood is high. Chances are good you, the team becomes even worse. If, if yeah. they're dysfunctional, those aspects of, which are dysfunctional might even be amplified if yeah. you press in a, a new method or a new process. So then even it becomes crucial to start with those, those more or less soft factors, if you want to say, and, and um, set the groundwork first before you start educating on something as rigid as a method like Scrum. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I agree on that. Yeah. Cool. So, um, we already talked about about the uh, aspects of digitalization of society, and you mentioned on the beginning that like uh, starting to raise your kids uh, inspired you to go deeper in this emotional intelligence topic. So, what is your perspective right now? What would be your your ideas or your recommendations? What someone should do to raise their kid in this digital age? Yeah, that's a very good question, <laughs> um, Florian. I know we talked about this before and uh, a couple of times. I, I wouldn't say I have a blueprint for this, to be honest, right? Yeah. And it's a challenge to be a uh, father um, every day. And, and I, I keep asking myself, 
if I should have done these things differently to that thing. So I'm skeptical about myself. Um, I think it's good to be skeptical, of course. I mean, you have to you have to look at, at how you do things every once in a while. Just and that, I mean, it's the same like in, in business, right? Uh, retrospective is a great invention. You should have you hold your retrospective with yourself or with with your partner actually um, uh, every once in a while and in a serious way to, th to just step outside and look at, at things and 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 become a more object or try to, to reach a more outside perspective to say, oh, what can we do better here and there? I think yeah. that's a good learning for also raising kids. Um, emotional intelligence, yes, um, exactly. That That is something I would always recommend to, to parents as, and, and to raising kids. Again, that, that opened my eyes back then in a lot of senses, and I have never actually regretted it. Actually, that would be also if my daughter, she's now 24, um, if she asked me, um, hopefully not too soon, that what I would recommend, I would also, again, say, um, consider emotional intelligence. And I, back even 20 years ago, I remember like a lot of uh, parental friends when I was, I was 24 at that time, they, they, they would give me advice, advice back then. And, and the, 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 the image they had is like, you have to set borders. You have to give your kids those borders. And that always frustrated me to hear and actually annoyed me a little bit it's like you project to those kids that they they actually if you they always want to cross those borders um yes they need borders that's that's absolutely true but i like the perspective more as to like you you don't stay in front of the kid and you keep them from crossing a border but rather to stay behind it and and you know foster their emotional intelligence and confirm their emotions um um, uh, elaborate their feelings here and there, and help them um, cope with that, and and be 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 more with them uh, rather than against them. Um, do you know what I mean? This is, uh, yeah. that that is like a also a, a parent's perspective that is a little bit different. Yeah, and and like with technology, of course. I mean, I see a lot of parents. Being worried and, and out of that worry, thinking about, you know, like um, my, my kid is six year old. Can I teach them how to code, for example? Like, so they, they uh, stay competitive in, in <laughs> when they reach their, their age of um, getting into the business. I, I personally, I don't think that's, um, that's so much appropriate unless your kid has a natural interest in, in doing that. You should, so you should provide your kid with, with, um, opportunities to explore that and, and and give it to them and that's that's very important but you shouldn't push in, into that like um and also like we talked about uh, bilingual right being bilingual is super or even trilingual um, is 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 it, but it should come naturally but if if when parents are pushing their kids too hard um i think being emotional stable is 10 times more important for life uh, than, yeah. than learning a language and uh, I, and there are arguments that come in terms of language that are coming from more practical judgment which is you know like everyone speaks English why should I learn French these days right um, or in, in five years there's going to be artificial intelligence who would sim simultaneously translate what I say into you name it um, Italian Mandarin whatever um but it's not it's not about that i mean 
learning a language is, is very good for kids, um, for their development of their brains, um, just as, you know, playing with Lego. Um, yeah. Add that and, and, you know, provide emotional stability and, and lead, help kids detect their emotions and add those opportunities for them. I think that's, that's a big part that you can do as a parent. Yeah, definitely. Because that's also a good good thing for the future because they don't know what the future holds. They don't know how certain technologies develop. They don't know what will come there. So Yeah, and, and exactly. And creativity becomes or has become is one of the nowadays uh, we are aware that creativity is, is super important. Um, and, and, you know, like if you sing a song with your kids, um, or have them tell stories or you tell stories or you start a story and, and they continue with this, um, have them make choices to, to, to spend time or visit places. This is helping kids to, to become creative, to you know, make a choice, to take decisions. I think it's as least, at least as, as important. Yeah. And I think also natural interests come uh, together with um, emotional stability is like the, the point of everything because uh, if you're able to be interested in certain things and also have a broad interest in other things, this is the foundation to be creative because creative means, okay, you can come up with ideas and you have the foundation behind it because you know certain things. You have a broad knowledge Yeah. Yeah, and, and one thing is being creative, and, and the other is be having the courage to also do these kind of things, which is it requires a very stable, a very stable emotional setup is to, to, to cope with defeats and to, to cope with criticism. Um, which yeah. is, is very important. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but like being having the courage means probably also it's probably a part of emotional intelligence. Because you need to be aware of fears you have and need to mm -hmm. be able to say, okay, does this fear make sense here or is it worth for me to um, do it anyway, even if I have fear? Fear doesn't go away. Fear is there. Um, the only question is if you um, hold, like say, okay, fear makes sense, senseful. I, I follow the fear or I say, no, I do it anyway. Depends on the topic. So it's not always to say smart, to say uh, fear, always fight your fear, or always go against your fear. Um, make no, a, that's make the perfect a example. Decision, yeah. This is exactly the, the, the perfect example um, in, in, in child education that you see a lot. And, and uh, I, I see this a lot myself having this, this tendency if, if, If my kids tell me they're afraid of something, um, then you have this reaction of telling them, "Yo, no, you don't need to be afraid of that. That's it's not it's not a big deal," or something like that, which is actually wrong because um, you need to confirm their fe fears. Talk talk to them about their fears so they learn actually to trust their feelings um, rather than telling them your feeling is wrong. Um, yep. There's no need to be afraid. Of course we do this because um, we care for our kids and we don't want them to be afraid or have fears, but um, as well as we can, you know, reflect them when they are funny or when they laugh about something or when they are sad about the thing or when, when they are, when they're afraid of something, you're right there. Um, that's, that's very important to, it's a very, it's a chance actually to, to, um, 
to develop um, and give your kids help is to to um, if you find if you de detect the feeling um, to to work from there. Yeah, I mean that, yeah, that applies for for that applies for everything. Actually, it's for management. It's the same, right? Like or for customers. If your customer tells you uh, he doesn't like your product, then that's the starting point. Now, it doesn't make any sense to. To, to tell him he doesn't understand it. Uh, if, if they don't understand it, um, uh, then then it, it's up to you to to do something about it. And in education, of course, it's 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 difficult, different, but um, some things are, are are pretty similar. Yeah, definitely. Cool. My second last question for you is: uh, What are your favorite books? So my, my absolute favorite is um, it's uh, it's called the Garden of the Finzi Contini. That's uh, okay. it's by Giorgio Bassani, an, an Italian writer, and um, it is it's it's a story. It's a it's a, it's a very tender love story actually, and an and unrequited love in the forties in Italy in the town of Ferrara and and, and the Jewish bourgeoisie. And, you know, I, I, I read this book 20 years ago. I, I hardly remember the details, really, but um, it's one of the books where, where the feelings and the atmosphere are 100% present. Okay. So I, that's one of, that's really my, my absolute favorite. But I also like, for example, Angela's Ashes is, is, is one of those books that um, masterpiece, Frank McCord. I, one of those books where you, where you slow down the reading towards the end Because you don't want to leave that story, because you, you're so much in, into the characters, and and, uh, and that doesn't happen often to me. But but that book, I remember where I where I was happy to find out he he wrote a sequence, uh, another piece of it, and I slowed slowed the reading towards the end. Yeah, yeah, nice, cool. And um, my last question for you is: What kind of advice would you give your 20 year old self? My my twenty year old, I would say, learn learn to deal with criticism and feedback okay. much better. Uh, you should be hungry actually for for getting feedback. Actually, I was I was not I was not good at that. Invest your, in your communication skills. Also, something I probably underestimated, which cannot be overestimated. Um, maintain your network. And and so one thing you can you can never start early enough probably is is find your identity. So so start that inner reflection process that also goes along with emotional intelligence is is um, that's a that's such an important journey. Um, who are you? You know what 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 pieces of personality are inside you? Are you made up with? Um, What, what, where do your emotions come from? Uh, look at yourselves, ob um, observe yourselves in certain situations. Be, be, be curious about why you react in this way here and there and just follow those, those small impulses to detect yourself. That, that helps a lot. And, and um, if you start that early, um, I think you gain a lot of quality um, in life. Yeah, definitely. But what I would also like to add to this is um, don't stress about that. Like, it's really hard to figure out who you are exactly. And it's natural that you don't know it in the beginning. And also, 
even if you're older, you can't be sure completely and that can also change. So definitely try to stay aware of it, but don't stress so much. It's not like that you need to know it now and you need to know it for sure. Just have it as a part in your journey and then go your way and trust yourself that uh, if there's something, you will see it and you will change it or you will know it. And if you don't know it, that's also fine. Yeah. Yeah, not being stressful is a good point there. Um, in, in many things, actually. To just try to leave certain stress away and create space for yourself um, without just, just, how do you say, leisure time. Just just do nothing. Uh, have the courage to, to just do nothing uh, and not always put stress on, on certain things. You're, you're really right there. Um, uh, it's, don't consider things too much as an, an exercise to compete or to achieve things, but sometimes just to, you know, don't try, try to intentionally not achieve anything, but just you know, be in the moment, see what you see and, and, And also not with the intention to be uh, always self-aware or things like that. I, I see a lot of tendency, including myself, people really forcing this. Um, and and we often lost those those the, the the capability to just just you know hang around, chill, and 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 do nothing or and let time pass. Actually, that's 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 something. It's a good advice for somebody growing up now, even with this very fast-paced society. Um, to to achieve that competency and a lot of yeah. that a, a lot of things it will pay back like you know like one can be very relaxed about things it will pay back it's 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 not even it's a good invest yeah definitely uh would it be a different advice for your 30 year old for my 30 year old yeah for your 30 year old self um Not so much, no? Yeah. Cool. So, Miko, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much. And uh, see you next time, guys. Bye-bye. Ciao, ciao.